Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, the headlines are always interesting when it comes to politics. Uh, some of the recent headlines are Democratic infighting could spell doom or Democrats in Washington are divided again. Of course, it happens on the Republican side, too. Uh, currently, they're focused on the Democrats and these headlines uh, about division, about disagreement, about competition within the Democratic Party. Uh, it's interesting to go beyond those headlines and really take a deeper dive look at it. There's a new report from the Survey Center on American Life that may hold some of those answers. And to help us break all of that down, one of our favorite inside sources, Kelsey Dallas from uh, Deseret.com, uh, joins us uh, to break down some of the things that are going on within the Democratic Party that are a little different. Uh, Kelsey, th- welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, so let's let's talk about it. You wrote a piece uh, for Deseret.com that talked about uh, Democrats being a little less religious, more diverse, and how the Democratic Party is changing. What did you learn? Well, basically, the, the report I was writing on was a look at how the demographics in the Democratic Party have changed since the late 1990s. And there are really some stunning shifts. There's been a decrease in the share of white Americans that are part of the Democratic Party, a decrease in the share of religiously active Americans. And there's also been a surge in liberals, so people who identify as liberal as opposed to moderate or conservative. And all of these shifts, I think, explain some of the turmoil we've seen President Joe Biden and other Democratic Party leaders been dealing with in the past few years. And so as you look at that, obviously that uh, goes to the party leaders uh, who suddenly get forced to negotiate on things that maybe they didn't have to in the past. Oh, definitely. I think that that's why if you see uh, President Biden take action on abortion rights, for example, and try to sort of from his position in the White House, protect access to abortion after Roe v. Wade was overturned. He'll have some Democrats saying, oh, thank you, Biden, you've done what you could. And other Democrats saying this is ridiculous. The president could have done so much more. And those um, tension, that tension is just getting more and more intense. Yeah. One of the things that you pointed out in, in your piece from the report was when a lot of this shift uh, took place. And a lot of it, interestingly, was during President Obama's term. 
Right. That is when you saw the numbers on sort of the racial and ethnic makeup of the Democratic Party really shift. Um, There's a quote here from the report that said the proportion of Hispanics increased dramatically during the Obama years, rising from 8 percent in 2009 to 18 percent in 2016. And so I think with details like that, the Survey Center on American Life was saying that these aren't just natural adjustments that took place as the overall U.S. population changed. Something really was going on where people were getting different signals from the Democratic Party and sort of realigning themselves in response. Yeah, well, One of the areas we always uh, look to you for your perspective and insight and wisdom on is religious liberty, religious freedom, and, and just views about religion in the public square, or faith in the public square. Uh, and part of this report really uh, got to the heart of that in terms of what's going on, particularly in the, uh, the Democratic side of the aisle, uh, in terms of their members or people who affiliate uh, with that party in terms of religion and faith. Tell us about that. Right. And uh, because of my own passion for this topic, I probably should have put that section of my story higher because the numbers (laughs) were really quite shocking that today fewer than half of Democrats say that they attend church or synagogue or a mosque, some sort of house of worship regularly. Only 43 percent of Democrats um, say that religion is important to them personally. And just about two decades ago, two-thirds of Democrats said that religion was important to them personally. And so the whole country has seen a religious shift with more people identifying as so-called religious nuns or none of the above. But the Democratic Party has, has sort of borne the brunt of that shift and is now trying to work through what it looks like to balance the interests of religious Democrats with non-religious ones. And so I've written about this a couple times before, about how it's very difficult to forge a compromise between sort of religious African-American voters on the one hand, young, white, college-educated, like uh, liberal, non-religious folks on the other hand. It's sort of like they're asking for very different things out of their party leaders. Yeah, and and does that uh, in turn create some some additional tension in terms of people getting into the party? Those uh, maybe of faith, uh, whatever that faith tradition may be, uh, who who may more naturally lean with the Democrats, but they may feel like, hey, they're kind of looking down their nose at me uh, because of my own faith. Maybe I don't belong in that party. Is there any kind of tension there? I definitely think that that is happening, and I think that that's why some of my um, Democratic friends get frustrated with me when I have headlines (laughs) like this that say the Democratic Party is less religious or religion is dying in the Democratic Party because they feel like there's um, a problematic stereotype there that's getting in the way of gaining more members. But, I mean, the numbers are the numbers. Like I said, it's it's quite a shocking shift since 1998 when it comes to faith in that party. Yeah. And uh, just to kind of dig in on, on your comment earlier that sometimes you have that, you know, that black Christian voter uh, or I think another area where the Democrats have had a stronghold for some time is with Latino voters. And often those religious Latino voters may also feel some of that tension uh, as uh, things continue to to change and shift within the party. Right. And I think that um, it's an interesting moment right now under President Biden. Um, He's an active Catholic. He tries to 
sort of speak about his faith regularly and connect with those religious Democrats. But at the same time, he's having to respond to policy pushes from the more liberal, the less religious side of the party. And that can cause a lot of frustration. I think that's where some of the tension over his approach to abortion has come from, is that because of his own faith and sort of position on abortion in the past, he doesn't talk about it as often as sort of younger Democrats might. And now that he's sort of being pressured to talk about it, he might be alienating um, some of those other members of the party. Yeah, and and you bring us to the to the policy issues, which are always where we try to land on this program. And and as you you mentioned in your piece, uh, some of those policy issues, particularly relating to to marriage or to family, some of those social structures, uh, those have also become more complicated for President Biden and and for the party uh, as well. Yes, and I, I don't mean to say that these shifts mean that the Democratic Party will not support like the child tax credit or will not support um, strengthening religious freedom protection, but it at least might decrease their interest in spending mm. political capital on those things. So they're going to be really uh, invested in maybe an immigration reform bill or um, an effort to tackle racism, whereas they would put a little less motive focus behind these religion-related policies just because they know the makeup of the party. So it just really shifts what's possible in Congress when one party is sort of losing interest in these huge policy areas. Yeah, that's such a great way to frame that. That's why we always have you on this show, Kelsey. It is all about where they are willing to spend political capital, and that becomes a very complicated conversation and a tough one for leaders in general, whether it's in the White House, whether it's a Speaker of the House or a leader in the Senate. Uh, in terms of what policy agendas get high priority and are are worthy of some of that political capital being spent. Uh, Kelsey Dallas, uh, always great to have you on the program. Great insight. Appreciate that perspective and, and great writing as always. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. All right. We'll step aside for one last commercial break. When we come back, Ben Scully. One of the great storytellers, one of the great voices uh, ever in any sport, anywhere, uh, passed away. And uh, we'll talk about his life and legacy coming up next. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.